Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. Welcome, my friend. Today, I am super excited to share with you a great episode. If you have ever struggled with perfectionism, burnout, striving for mastery, and being an overachiever, my guest is an expert in these arenas. Dr. Morgan Levy is a licensed psychologist based in Florida. She specializes in helping high achievers and professionals learn the skills they need to optimize their work performance without sacrificing their lives beyond their career. She received her PhD in clinical psychology from Nova Southeastern University and also completed a one-year training on psychodynamic psychotherapy from the William Allenson White Institute in New York. She provides online workshops and education on mindfulness, perfectionism, and burnout. Morgan is all about helping high achievers break free from the pressure to perform and explore other aspects of their identity without sacrificing their success in work. Welcome, Morgan. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, this is great. I just want to start by diving in because I think perfectionism and burnout are huge for so many people. Professionals, this is not just for therapists, but for all professionals. And you work with with people in all lines of work, executives, corporate worlds, as well as therapists. So love to hear a little about your journey in becoming a psychologist and moving into this specialty. I've always been somebody who's loved stories and getting really involved in stories, not just books, but movies, TV shows, and like fantasy, science fiction, like a wide range. And what I loved so much was learning about the characters, discussing the characters, and understanding why they did the things that they did. And so that was just me at a young age. And I guess it just naturally over time transitioned to me wanting to be a therapist. Hmm. And then, yeah, in terms of working with high achievers, you know, it's it's funny, I never really planned it. It's just in grad school, you know, you take the clients that are assigned to you. Right. Those just happen to be the ones that I worked the best with and I enjoyed working with the most. Mm -hmm. And so then when I moved into private practice, that's where I wanted my focus to be. And it just sort of happened. (laughs) Wow. What a beautiful trajectory. It doesn't always work that way. You might work with people in grad school and you're like, "Mm, I don't know, this doesn't feel like a fit, but it really, it really was a, a good alignment for you. Mm-hmm. I definitely did have a lot of clients that I didn't do my best work with. So I think it also helped having that to then know where I did feel more lit up and excited in my work to know where I did want to move forward. Love that. We have to feel lit up. And that's such a great word because it's about our energy. 
our energetic space as humans, right? What lights us up? And that's such a great clue from our internal wisdom. I just, I love that we're talking about that right from the, right from the beginning. So tell us a little about working with perfectionism, because I think it'd be great to start there. Many of us have experienced parts of perfectionism. Maybe we don't even realize we're more of a perfectionist than we actually are. Raise my hand. So <laughs> what's the origin of it? Yeah. Such a good point. So many, so many perfectionists that I work with, none of them at the beginning ever think they're a perfectionist because we always think a perfectionist is somebody who's organized. They have everything all together. They never make a mistake and they look really polished. But the reality is that's not really true. Perfectionism is more about our expectations for ourselves and for others. And usually these expectations aren't realistic and then we fail to meet them and then we're hard on ourselves and on others. And the theory that I tend to work with with perfectionism is that it forms early in our life where we might produce a lot, we might achieve a lot, and then we get a lot of praise and acceptance for that. And so as a kid, we internalize that in order to continuing to receive love and praise and acceptance, we have to keep producing and doing well. And so this, it creates this endless cycle where we constantly feel like we need to just keep performing in Mm -hmm. order to feel loved and accepted. But the reality is once we then achieve something, we're then just thinking about the next thing and we can't ever fully be in the moment and embrace what we're experiencing. And also perfectionism, like perfection just doesn't exist. Okay. So what you're saying is all of those things are not just normal. There's another way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and something that I, I think is also so important is perfectionism can serve us really well. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we're able to be successful because of it. And so it's not that we need to get rid of it, but try to identify where in our life it's hurting us and impacting us and tweak things there. Yes. Well, you know, I've I've spent some time researching what you offer and learning about perfectionism on your websites and I kept thinking, "Oh yes, I'm not really a perfectionist until I started reading more and more." You know, and I will just our our listeners can't see, but I'll show you, Morgan. I have this rock that's uh, that somebody wrote on organized, right? It's a rock mm-hmm. from like the coast of Maine. Because I feel like sometimes I'm not organized enough. And I'm one of those people that probably has those perfectionist tendencies, but doesn't appear as organized, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm not sure if that rock is helpful or not. <laughs> yeah, we that that's usually how it is. We don't think we're a perfectionist because we're still thinking we haven't met our standards. Right. But it's really those standards are impossible to meet. Yeah. I love that you bring in the the family background and, you know, how we're acculturated in our families to rise to these high expectations, if that's part of it. And I think now we're probably even more hit by so many expectations with, you know, the curation in social media and things like that. Have you seen shifts in like people coming to you who want help with this? it's so hard with social media because people only really post, you know, all of the good things that are happening in their lives. And then we tend to compare and feel bad. I also think what I've been noticing on social media is 
people are being more open about their flaws and vulnerabilities. And I think especially with Gen Z, it's happening more and more, which I think is so wonderful because then it's making it more mainstream for people to start being vulnerable and open up about their flaws. Mm-hmm. That's a really, really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And those are some of the clients that love therapy too, right? Yes. Great. Yeah. Point. They yeah. love therapy. Like therapy is cool. <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. Me too. Me too. So how do we know, like you talk about kind of the signs when sometimes perfectionism is good, helpful, and sometimes perfectionism starts to do us more harm than benefit. Perfectionism can be harmful when it starts impacting how we feel about ourselves and the people around us. And it could show up in this strong need for control to control what we do, what other people do, and what's happening in our lives. And usually that that intense need for control is in order to avoid making any mistakes or failing in some way because we don't want to be exposed as a fraud. Because again, with that origin, if we're exposed as making mistakes and as a fraud, then we're not going to get that love and acceptance that we really need, which makes sense as humans. That's what we need from people. Right. Yeah. And then in relationships, when we notice that people aren't meeting these high expectations, that's when we could be really critical of them. Um, And we also aren't forming authentic relationships because we feel like we can't be our true selves if we're letting that perfectionism take over. Yes. Oh, I love that you're bringing this up because as a couples therapist, I'm really, really interested in the role of perfectionism in relationships. So those are some some great points that it could be hard for us to be ourselves. We could be critical. And what would you say our intention behind the criticism is, right? It's, it's not necessarily like meaning to do our partner harm. Right, right. I think it, it stems from just feeling really disappointed and let down. Mm-hmm. And so that's then the reaction that we have, which is to criticize because we don't want to feel let down. Right. That's great. So that's something to really think about too, you know, for any therapists who are listening and when you encounter somebody who's experiencing being critical and they don't like that, that's part of themselves. How could we look at that? What's underneath that? Maybe it's a feeling of being let down. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So important. And so we see the role of perfectionism, especially kind of growing up with it and how it it impacts other areas in our lives. You work so much career-wise. Share a little, if you would, Morgan, about like perfectionism in the workplace. What, what do you see with people who are perfectionists as, you know, attorneys, CEOs, all, all of those things? So it's hard because again, like that perfectionism helps them be successful in the workplace and, you know, get the promotion, look really good, have a strong network, but then there's that need to constantly be performing. So then, you you know, these people have a hard time saying no, Okay, don't really set boundaries. They're working all of the time, you you know, at home, even outside of work hours, their to-do list is getting longer and longer. They might even end up procrastinating on some things because they don't want to, it's easier to avoid something and procrastinate than it is to try something and make a mistake and to fail. And so they might distract themselves with, you know, other tasks that aren't necessary 
and have a hard time delegating as well. And then that could lead lead to burnout. What would somebody do then? Like they have this, this tendency to procrastinate instead of do the thing that has more urgency and importance. And I know there's a distinction there and I always forget it, but (laughs) they forget they're just not doing that and procrastinating. How do you help them with this? It's so hard to dive into something and say, it's all right. Progress over perfection. Done is better than good, but it's really hard to take action on that. Yeah. Because a lot of these things aren't just, you know, issues that we could overcome with just a step-by-step approach. It really is internal beliefs and our mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when I would work on the concept of being good enough Mm -hmm. and knowing when good enough is acceptable and you could still get the success you need versus trying to be perfect. Because there's a lot more, more of the time there's situations where we can get away with being good enough than we might think there are. Mm. Can you give an example or like, you know, something kind of (laughs) de-identified. Yeah. I've noticed it a lot. And I've used this example so many times with writing emails. So many times we'll spend so long writing a very nice email, like way too long of time to make sure it's perfect. And then we get a two word response afterwards. And it's like, why did we spend so much time doing that when we really didn't need to? And then that sort of a time sucks. So like little things Mm -hmm. like that. (laughs) we've all done that just whether it's an email or worrying so much about you know whatever what you're going to wear and then you know everybody is casual or you know I mean so many different examples whether it's professional or personal that we overthink I guess overthinking is also a part of this yeah because we want to do the right thing Mm -hmm. you know in quotes because there is no like right right thing but yeah, exactly. And I really want to unpack the judgment because I've we've already said good and harm and right and we don't mean good or bad, right or wrong. Right. We're right. just we're just trying to talk in generalities here. You described how perfectionism shows up for us in areas we might be most vulnerable. And I think this is great. I was thinking some on this and I'll share some of my reflections personally, but You said for yourself, you noticed perfectionism would show up in decision-making. So what does that look like? Yeah. So before I knew, you know, about this and I was early on in my own therapy journey, like attending my own therapy, Mm -hmm. I would bring a lot of personal big life decisions to therapy, really struggling what to do, like which one example is which grad school to go to. Mm-hmm. I think I spent months agonizing over it, making pros and cons lists, which really don't do anything for me anyways. I didn't base my decision off of that. I did it based off what I felt, but it was always about the fear that once I make a decision, I'm giving up the other thing. And then what if that was the thing I should have done? Just this, this fear of decision right. making. And it's also showing up right now in my life where it did last week. So I'm hosting a collaborative project mm-hmm. where I have to accept applications and look at applications and decide what would be a good fit for it. And that was so difficult for me because I didn't want to disappoint others. I didn't want to say no to somebody who would be an amazing fit potentially, but I had to, you know, I had to, I couldn't accept everybody because it, I want to be very intentional about what I'm including. And so making that decision was very difficult and it was not easy to do. 
Cause I, wow. and I also want to have a perfect ex- project, <laughs> which doesn't exist, but that that's what I was feeling. It's hard to let go of that. I really oh, yeah. appreciate that you shared so vulnerably about that. And we'll talk later about this amazing offering that you're creating, but yes, that's a great example. Not wanting to disappoint, wanting to include everything, everyone wanting to provide the, the best exemplary, you know, result and outcome. So right. yeah. And, and you're an expert and still it does creep up. So I think okay. that's important, right? We're humans. And this is, this is a process and it might be a lifelong process for some of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would be as passionate about it if I didn't experience it myself. And it was through therapy myself that I was like, oh, wait a, wait a second. This is all perfectionism showing up. Where is that coming from? Mm, I did yeah. a lot of exploration on that. Yeah. The passion is so important. I think that's why so many of us as therapists or in whatever career, if, if you really love it, we do that. And we know that there are growth edges for us that will continue. And the same with like, working through something like perfectionism or being a high achiever, you're going to have something else come up. You're going to be a parent or you're going to be taking care of parents or you're going to move or, you know, so many different life circumstances that open the opportunity to experience this again. And absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a great point. Cause we're always going through things in our, our lives and that's when all of our stuff gets brought up again. Yeah. We're, we're meant to continue to grow and develop and, you know, we can bring our dreams and desires to excel and succeed. We have to also know like how to listen to that felt sense. You said, I made a decision on grad school, not from the pros and cons list, but how I felt. Yes. Yeah. And if I were to just listen to what I felt to begin with, I wouldn't have agonized for months over making a deci- like the perfect decision. Mm-hmm. It's an important part of your experience now, and yeah. you you can use it to help others just like you're doing here. So when, when I read that about decision-making, I was thinking, okay, how does perfectionism show up for me? And, and I'll just share this because, you know, you can maybe help us a little with what, you know, what you would say to me or someone else. Cause I think people are really curious about that. So first I think like perfectionism shows up if I have to do a video or something live, like I just, that's not my thing. And also, as I mentioned earlier, trying to organize something and feeling overwhelmed. So two things, one, I'm sure there's something about self-esteem and appearance and wanting to say and look a certain way or not matching up to the typical standards that you might see somebody else who's doing reels all the time or Facebook lives. So I think there's something there. And then this other part is what you said before, not wanting to start because what if I can't get it right? So have this big like to-do pile, but how do I start that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you hear this? Am I the only one? Oh, no, no, no. All the time. I was even thinking about myself when I first started doing YouTube videos. I mean, even now they're definitely not perfect. And I've sort of just embraced it because I think people also really appreciate the realness and the authenticity of not being perfect because when you show people that you don't have to be perfect, then they start to 
see themselves that they don't have to be perfect either. And it becomes easier to be genuine. We do this kind of so easily with somebody else, with our clients, people do it with their family members, their kids, their pets. Our pets are completely fine, right? But it's so hard for ourselves. You know, and I think really, as you talk about decision-making, there's there's a lot of that that plays a role. So you, Morgan, have this great quiz on your website called, what is your quiz called? What is it called? I think it's, uh, oh yeah, which obstacle is holding you back from optimizing your success in the workplace and beyond? Everyone has to go to Dr. Morgan Levy's website and take that quiz because it's really good and you get your result and it's amazing. So I went in and took the quiz and my results were discomfort with the unknown. And what resonated for me about this was it said, I might have difficulty tolerating ambiguity at work and it would be helpful to work on increasing my security and decision-making and worrying less. That's probably no surprise to my therapist or my husband. (laughs) (laughs) But when you see it in print, I, I mean, friends, when you see something in print about you, right, it's, it hits in a different way. Yeah. I, that quiz, I intentionally was thinking, okay, what with the people I work with, what are the major things that come up for them? And then I sort of, you know, worked backwards to kind of come up with questions to see what would fit there. And in particular with this quiz result, what I would work on with somebody is really a lot of mindfulness and accepting that we're going to screw up and make mistakes mm-hmm. and just be curious about it and accept that it's happening in the moment. Wow. You are so good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard, right? What is the hardest thing is probably mindfulness mm-hmm. doing the like, you know, mindfulness in the morning, whatever that routine is and being consistent. So I think, I think that's really helpful. Um, There was a piece in there too, about the ambiguity is hard because we want control. So do perfectionists like having control? Yes. Yes. Because when they have control of the situation, they're able to make sure that people don't see their flaws. They're Mm -hmm. able to control things so that they don't all of a sudden feel like the, you know, the world is crashing down around them because people see that they're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. As you say this, and we didn't really talk about this before, but I'm so curious. Do you find also from your, whether it's your work or your research that the perfectionism and high achieving is different in the Western world or like different in say, you know, North America than other places? Are are there cultural differences that you either researched or actually experienced? Great question. I don't know if I have, you know, a clear answer to that, but I would imagine that with cultures that are more focused, less goal oriented, that the perfectionism doesn't play as, as much of a role there. Yeah, that's that's what I I would imagine if there's a more collective bent or, you know, approach and it's just it's really interesting to me and also when we talk about this and of course some of it is from how we came up and coming from families where we had these high expectations or a family where 
we didn't see those expectations and we wanted to do the opposite and achieve, strive, be the first ones to go to college, whatever it is. How do you help your clients understand like, mm, it's not your parents' fault or, you know, does that become an issue or a point of therapy? Yeah. So I am a psychodynamic therapist and that mm-hmm. comes up a lot where people might be afraid to start blaming their parents because they still feel protective of them. And usually I'll have a little bit of a discussion with them that what that there's no such thing as a perfect parent and the parents are working with what they knew at the time. And what we're just trying to do is explore and understand, not blame. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. So interesting to be a psychodynamic psychotherapist and then kind of like this coach to high achievers. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very different. It's almost like I do two different things. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that I did that is because a lot of the people that I work with maybe don't need therapy. So, you know, the people who I'll see with the more coaching side of things, I wouldn't do therapy with them, but they would benefit, you know, highly from seeing a therapist to go deeper with them you know, all of it right. is related. Yeah, I know. It's almost, it's, it's, I've always thought about that. I have like two different sides of what I do. Yes, you really do. I, I'd love to learn more about the psychodynamic work as well. And we're throwing a little bit of it in there. So, <laughs> so one of the things, Morgan, that also we talk a lot about, I talk about in my Facebook group, I get questions from it in the heart Center therapist community, um, in every other Facebook group that, you know, I'm in, every article that comes through your newsfeed, burnout. And burnout is something I know you have a burnout mini course and you've written articles and blogs and love for you to just tell us a little bit about burnout, maybe definition, you know, do we, do we know it when we see it type of thing? Yeah. Burnout is everywhere these days and everybody's talking about it, but people don't realize that it actually is a scientifically studied concept and it has been studied for many years now. And it's overall, it's basically a physical, emotional, or mental exhaustion that usually comes from overworking. Mm -hmm. And what we don't realize is that it tends to show up before we even realize it. We might notice it when we start feeling, you know, bad emotionally and physically, but it actually shows up way before the first stage of burnout is just working harder or being eager to perform. So working harder is actually the second stage of burnout, but that compulsion to, to prove oneself is the first stage where you're eager and you want to show people that you can do things and you Mm -hmm. take on new projects and you keep saying yes, because it's fun and it's exciting. Right. It's actually the first stage where we keep wanting to prove ourselves, but we don't think that's burnout because we're just so excited and having so much fun with what we're doing. Right. The, the shiny object syndrome too, where we just want to do more things and this is so exciting and, oh, I can fit this one thing in. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the working harder is next. Yeah. So then the second stage is working harder because we're, we like that feeling of doing these things, doing well, being eager that we just keep working harder and harder to do it more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and right then- now we're, we're feeling kind of comfy. We're, we're just yeah. in this usual place of doing new things, working hard at it, getting a little bit of a lift from that. Mm-hmm. 
And then there are 12 stages, and I don't know if I need to to go through all of them, but basically it turns into us neglecting our own needs at that point because we just want to keep working harder and harder until we give up our hobbies, our sense of self, and then we begin feeling empty. We start noticing those physical symptoms, Mm -hmm. and then it turns into that chronic burnout. Yes. I think it's helpful to even mention some of the physical symptoms because we overlook them. We think burnout could just be in our head. Oh, we're emotional, um, emotionally exhausted. Headaches, stomach aches, body aches, having a hard time eating, sleeping, or changes with our eating and sleeping habits, feeling more irritable with others, procrastinating more and more, feeling a lack of motivation, unable to concentrate. Really, it, it shows up for us a lot. Yeah, I, that. thank you. That's really important. As we start to notice some of these signs and question, is it, is it just like a little fatigue? Is it a little need for vacation or, or is somebody experiencing burnout? And then what do you do? Like, what have you found to be helpful strategies for managing burnout and not always going into burnout, right? Like having some kind of balance. I know they say balance is a myth, but we must be working to ward off burnout in, you know, in the goal of something else. Right. Right. And I, I also want to mention that if you're in a workplace environment that is just toxic, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to do these strategies and feel better. Like I understand, you know, it's a systemic issue as well. Mm -hmm. Individually taking rest and filling that restful time with things that feel meaningful and valuable for you so that you feel recharged, taking breaks, taking vacations, taking time off and finding meaning, not just in work, but also outside of work. Mm, Yeah. And have you been able to develop your own kind of self-care routine? I mean, you're juggling a lot, Morgan, right? And, And you've kind of admitted, like you love doing all of these things. And so- How does it work for you? Because a lot of my interest and mission is how do we do self-care? Yes, you're absolutely right. And with this new project that I'm doing, that's when I notice it. When I get a new project, that's when I dive really deep into it and I start working harder and harder. Part of it is to prove myself, especially with this project. I want to prove myself to the other people involved in it Mm -hmm. and the people who eventually will want to buy it. And Part of my self-care plan is that reflection and noticing when it is showing up and then intentionally taking the breaks and doing things that I like to do. It's really important to me and my life and in my business to have enough time to spend quality time with the the people and animals that I love. Mm -hmm. And so I intentionally try to make sure that that happens. That's a really different way to look at it, to start kind of working into self-care by the reflection piece. I, I really appreciate that you shared that with us because sometimes it's not just a simple, like go for a walk thing. We have to do some internal work to make the self-care stick is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, if I didn't intentionally do it, I would maybe go and go for a walk and then I would just be thinking about work the whole time and it wouldn't even be restful. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my gosh. That happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not saying I'm perfect at it or because, you know, perfect doesn't exist, but, and I do think about work a lot, but I, it's really just an intentional thing. Yeah. I want to underscore that though. 
if you have felt yourself going for a walk or, you know, going on the treadmill or doing something and you're still thinking about this, take a page from Morgan's suggestion, right? Of like the self-care in terms of reflection. What, what is your awareness of what's going on? Yes. Yeah. And that goes back to that mindfulness piece and practicing mm-hmm. mindfulness because it really, mindfulness isn't just meditating. It's just about gaining awareness of what's happening in the moment within us and around us. Right. Right. So you might say to yourself, I'm aware that I really want to do X, Y, Z at this work project so that I will appear, you know, great or super successful, super confident, you know, right on the game with my colleagues. That yeah. would be the start of a self-care, even though it does not sound like what we typically hear as self-care. Exactly. Because it, it's about gaining that awareness. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. This this is next level. I love it. <laughs> Seriously, that's so good. Sustainable balance. Like, so are we, are we really going for this balance? Yeah. So balance, I've actually been hearing from more and more people, they don't like that word because they view balance as trying to make everything equal. Mm -hmm. And so people are liking more work-life harmony where it works in a way that feels good for you. And it's not about 50% here, 50% here, but whatever you want it to be. Wow. I love that. I'm going to write that down. Work-life harmony. That is really, it just, it feels so much better. Yes. I was actually corrected by some of my clients when I would use the words work-life balance because they, they're like, that's not, we don't use that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes me think back to like my humanities class in high school, where we were looking at Greek architecture and the harmonious relationship of the parts or something. I don't have it quite right, but it really is. It really is an important part of humanity going way back. The notion yeah. of harmony. We talked a little about self-care and I think connected to that is loneliness, isolation, community, perfectionists, I imagine might spend a little more time isolated, maybe, maybe not, but how do you see people engaging in community or does their connection to community change when we do our work to be less perfectionistic? I would say it's more about having authentic connections when you're able to recognize your perfectionism and not let it overtake you. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these like high achievers who are perfectionists, they're performing really well and have very strong networks, but they also feel like they're just wearing a mask and they're not being their true selves in these relationships. And so it doesn't feel like authentic, genuine connections. Mm-hmm. Yes, that makes so much sense. And then how to help them, right? You're not doing the psychodynamic work necessarily, but how could somebody find out more about who their authentic self is or, or show a little of that? That's, uh, that's the stuff that I love. And that's Mm. when it comes to exploring your own values, because also sometimes these people might not even know what their values are, but getting more in touch with that and then figuring out what they need to do in their life, either add more of, or take away to, live in accordance with their values. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. (laughs) I love talking about values all the time. That is so huge for me. Yes. We need more of that. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in the therapy psychodynamic work that we would take it a little bit deeper, trying to understand, okay, well, where do those values come from? And what about where they came from is impacting you? Whether it's working for the person or interfering. Right. For you, have you found some community or supports in terms of being a therapist and doing this work? Yeah. So there are several groups that I'm part of, uh, part of online, different masterminds that have just been amazing and phenomenal. And I've been able to open up more about my own personal story and my life and what has shaped who I am now in my business. And then in mm-hmm. person, there's some local women's organizations that I'm a part of that have been, you know, business-wise really amazing to be involved in, to see other fields and, you know, how these women work. That is so cool. What's an example, I know it may be like proprietary to South Florida, but of a women's organization that you joined that's not necessarily like all psychologists? Yeah, so I could tell you the group that I'm in, it's called The Daily Drip, and Mm -hmm. it was just an innovative organization that these two women came up with because they wanted to have a group where women can network, but not have the typical networking experience, Mm -hmm. so... I mean, it's a, they have a lot of content online. Any, anybody could check it out if they're interested. It's, it's really oh, cool. Great. And then maybe get inspired to look and see if there's one in your area or start one yourself. Yes. Oh, thank you. I just, I really admire you for, again, it's doing your self care, but also knowing I need a little bit that's direct contact, right? In, in person. And then there's something, the way you describe these masterminds that makes you feel so safe and there's probably not something specific, but you, the way you could describe, like I've opened up about myself personally and professionally, most people don't have something like that. It's really cool. Yeah. It's been amazing. I don't think I would be able to do what I've been doing without it. I probably would have only stuck with doing therapy and not expanded to doing other things if I didn't have that support. Wow. So support is huge. And for the listener, if you're looking at something that you want to build or create on the side, that's, that's something to consider. Where can you get support, encouragement from other people who have similar values and goals? Yes, exactly. That's so important. The values piece. Mm -hmm. That's really what made it feel safe for me to open up and then to grow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Have there been, I love asking this question, have there been any surprises for you in your work supporting high achievers or maybe something you didn't like really expect like anything? Oh, okay. I'm going to work with these high achievers. And, you know, even as you sort of described them, you know, I think a lot of people on the outside would say, oh yes, they're super well connected. Uh, You know, they're confident. Everything's great but they don't show themselves so much. You know that because you work with them. Yeah. yeah. So I think what actually made me start loving to work with them very early on was realizing the deep emotional world that they have, that they just keep hidden and how powerful it could be when they start showing it to others. Mm. And then that, that right there is what then put me on the path to wanting to work with them Mm. because I saw how beautiful what they were feeling was and just how amazing it was and how powerful. 
And it, it really, it sounds cheesy, but I, it was like an honor to sit there and to help them bring that out and show it to the world. Mm, that gives me chills. Bring the cheesy. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, but, but really that, that you saw and felt and experienced their deep internal world and then helped them bring that out and share that. That is an honor. That's a witnessing privilege. It's such amazing work that you do. Thank you. Yeah. It's a great reminder for us too, to hold that compassion as we do our work with whomever we're working. The deep inner world exists. Yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Underneath the criticism, underneath the angry facade, there's that deep inner world. <laughs> so you have so many things to offer and I'd love for you to just tell our listeners a little bit about what you have going on. I know that you've got online programs, courses, workshops, something new coming out in April. Let's let's hear all about it. Sure. So I have my private practice uh, where I can see people from Florida or some people internationally. And that's for people who want to do that deeper inner work and exploration. Mm-hmm. And then I have several mini courses on mindfulness, burnout, perfectionism. Um, I'm just getting started in that and I'm actually really loving it. It's been a lot of fun. I've gone through my own perfectionism journey as I've been developing those. And I really love doing workshops and I'm thinking about doing a few more in mm-hmm. the future. And then in April, I'm so excited. So this project was something I never thought I would do. And then one day, it just hit me. And I was like, I have to do this. Um, my friend was actually talking about something like it, like this. And I was like, I need to do it. I, I can't stop thinking about it. And for days I couldn't get it out of my head. And I just, I knew I had to do it. And I've never in my business felt so excited to do something like this before. And it's called the mindful professional bundle. And uh, I'm so excited. Uh, it's great gonna- name, great name. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, Tamara Howell actually came up with that name. So I want to give her credit. Uh, Yeah. Shout out to Tamara. (laughs) Actually, Morgan and I met through Tamara. So thank you for that too. (laughs) So it's going to be a collection of resources, different courses, workshops, trainings, templates to help anybody who identifies as either a high achiever or a professional, really, honestly, really anybody. It'll have resources to help them be more intentional and mindful in work and at home. So learn how to optimize their performance in a way that feels right for them in in work and outside of work without having Mm -hmm. to give up their achievements. And earlier today, I was, I'm finalizing some of the resources that will be in it. And I just, I wanted to (laughs) cry with happiness. So amazing. The resources, I think it's going to help so many people. So it's going to be on sale for $97, all of those resources from April 12th to April 18th. What? That sounds like a steal. It yeah. really is. I'm, I, I cannot wait to tell the world what's in the mm-hmm. bundle because it is so amazing. I love it. That's really, really cool. So for people who don't know what a bundle is, and, oh. and we'll link to this, the Mindful Professional Bundle. So it includes things from all of these amazing resources, workshops, courses, PDFs, tutorials from other professionals. Yes. Yes. So every it's a bunch of different experts and leaders in their field. They, they're contributing an offer 
because they also want to reach so many more people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's no catch. These are offers that people do sell on their own, but they want to be a part of this collaboration so that, you know, high achievers and professionals can access these resources and, and start using them to live a life that is more mindful and meaningful to them. That's that's awesome. You know, it really is a package of being able to share your passion and serve. And that's what I love about this bundle, the price point, the resources. I mean, it it really is about service and passion and helping people grow. And I mean, that's very heart centered. Oh, yes. I'm I'm so, so excited for it. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. That's great. (laughs) Yes. And so um, what are your what are your websites again? So my therapy website is, you know, I, I need to just make one website to be honest, but right now my therapy website is morganlevyphd.com. Mm-hmm. And then my website with everything else that I do that isn't therapy is drmorganlevy.com. And that's okay. D-R. Morgan Levy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say you should have the two separate websites. So I think you're good there. It's a lot to manage. Again, <laughs> that's just part of what we have to to juggle and figure out. Right. Our self-care. <laughs> That's great. Um, I really want to acknowledge you, Morgan, for all of this amazing work on such a deep emotional level that you're doing to help others live their best lives from from client from clients all walks of life to really overcome and grow from their perfectionism and their burnout and use their high achieving desires and skills for more so that it's, it's, it's just a way to keep developing and you're touching so many people's lives, touching families. Like it's really, really remarkable. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you so much. That's so kind. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the final question is what is your definition of a heart centered therapist? I've been thinking about that all day. (laughs) I think a heart-centered therapist is a therapist that follows what they feel and accepts what's happening without trying to change everybody around them, but is fully embracing, you know, all aspects of themselves and of others. Oh, beautiful. I love that. Sounds like it could be my definition. (laughs) And what we started talking about at the beginning, how do we feel and accept? Yes. So beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great chatting and I look forward to seeing the Mindful Professional Bundle and we'll link to all your resources. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Oh, my pleasure. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.